You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. What a beautiful song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. We give you all the glory and honor for Jesus. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved than at that name. And Lord, I had about 40 years of pastoring and mentoring and ministering and looking and watching over people, dear Lord. I've been to a lot of deathbeds. and Lord, always that name Jesus will bring a peace to a room. It brings a comfort to a troubled heart, dear Lord. It it, dear Lord, invades a room in such a way that, dear Lord, that people are never the same when the name of Jesus is spoken. So, Lord, we just say your name. We say the name Jesus. And, Lord, we ask you right now, dear Lord, to fill this place as you've already done in worship, to fill it again with your presence as we go to your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May today, dear Lord, you say things that we desperately need to hear. Lord, we love you. I pray, dear Lord, you cleanse me, that you forgive me. Lord, forgive me of any thought, any deed, any word out of my mouth. Lord, let me be a tool in your hand today. And Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing, and children are going to begin to make their way to worship. While they're doing that, while you're standing, I want you to take your Bible once again, go to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, and uh, let me encourage you, yes, send the kids, because if they're miserable here, I'll probably be miserable up here as well, and we'll both be unhappy. I had a woman one time make the statement to a preacher friend of mine, she said, my child, her child had acted up during the service. She said, well, you don't understand. My child is high-strung and nervous. He said, well, ma'am, he said, I remember when I was a kid getting high-strung and nervous. My dad took me outside. He got more high-strung and nervous than me. And when I came back in, I wasn't high-strung and nervous anymore. Uh, I remember at the very beginning of my ministry, somebody told this story. He said that a man was called to a church to pastor, and he preached a message uh, the next Sunday he preached the message again. The next Sunday he preached the message again. And by the third Sunday he had preached the same message. The deacons met together and called this young pastor and they said, Now, uh, you know, uh, we see a lot of giftedness, a lot of talent, a lot of ability in you. We believe God's called you here, but you've preached the same message for the last three Sundays. When are you going to move on to another message? And he smiled and said, uh, he stood up, and just as he was walking out the door, he turned and looked at the deacons. He said, when you hear this one, then I'll preach another one, and left. Um, you know, as I thought about that, I thought there's a lot of truth to that. And I want to I share my heart today. I want you to listen to me. I've, I've been here a long time. And a lot of times when I leave this pulpit, uh, I leave this pulpit very, very heavy-hearted, uh, I did last Sunday. I was depressed. Now, my dad, a couple of weeks ago, and this may hurt his feelings a little bit, 
But when I preached a, a revival on Sunday, preached homecoming a couple of weeks ago in my home church, my dad that following week made this statement. He said, son, he said, I sure was hoping that you were going to preach that introduction to the book of Titus. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I preach what God put on my heart to preach. Now, I was led last Sunday to preach again what I felt God put on my heart to preach to you. I, 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 let me say this, in my home church, I preached so hard, I pulled a muscle in my back and I have been in pain ever since. And whatever damage I did a couple of weeks ago, I did last Sunday because, again, I preached with such passion and urgency and such a heavy heart that, again, I pulled that, I pulled that muscle again. Let me tell you, the danger is in your life and in my life is that you come in here and sit down and you listen to a sermon and you don't process it at all. That's the great danger. Isaiah said, Lord, who's believed us? Jeremiah became so frustrated. He said, Lord, I'm not going to make mention of your name anymore. And yet he said, you are like a burning fire within me. Ezekiel said, Lord, they have not hearkened unto my word, unto what I've been trying to say. God says, whether they hearken or not, they will know that a prophet has been among them. You see, the danger is you come into a service like this and you sit and listen and you don't process it at all. Now, last Sunday, I preached with everything in me, but I want you to hear me. Not one person came up and said one word. The only person that did was one family member that spoke to me afterwards. And um, that's not right. Some of you should have been here and you were not. My daughter, who's a dentist, was on her way to her practice and she telephoned me and she said, Dad, I want to listen to Sunday's message and I want to go online and listen to it, but I've got Sam, my 11-year-old grandson, my oldest grandson, I've got him with me. Would, the lesson, would it be appropriate for him to listen? I said, well, Ethan, who's nine years old, my grandson, when I walked into the kitchen, said, Papa, he said, that sermon troubled me. Ethan told me yesterday, he said, that sermon, he, he laughed, he said, I kind of wished you hadn't have preached it. He said, because it has changed our home. My daughter, on her way to her dental practice, on her way with her 11-year-old son, said, Dad, we're going to listen to it together because I talked a lot about boys. And so they listened to about the first 15, 20 minutes of the sermon, and then they got to work, she had to work, and then they were coming home and they listened to the rest of it. She said, at Brookhaven, my grandson didn't want to get out of the vehicle. He said, Mom, don't stop it. When he got home... He went, he took his video, he took his iPad, he took some of the telephone, he took some of those things, and he said to his mom and dad, he said, that sermon has changed my life. Brent Leach, who's a former L.A. Dodger who pitched, left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers, and will lead our 
uh, lead our baseball camp, texted me yesterday, and his words were, he said, we took a short weekend away. Sarah and I were coming back, his wife and I. The kids fell asleep. We pulled that message up. He said, my eyes were so watery. He said, we wept to where, he said, I could hardly see the road. And he said, Brother Jeff, he said, that sermon has affected our lives. He said, can I meet with you this next week? He's a staff member, First Baptist Brandon. The difference is, is a lot of times what happens in this congregation is you just simply, you've heard it so long. Men that are up here pleading their hearts out and you just kind of let it go over your head and it doesn't register in your heart. If it does and you're processing this message, we are not hearing it. Let me tell you, great pastors don't make great churches. Great churches make great pastors. Some of you spasmodic, uncommitted, in and out, up and down. We can't, we can't build an effective work in this city, in this community, because you are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And until you are, then nothing has changed. And so today we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to process what was said last Sunday. And um, Reggie, I want to give you the ability to, at any point, to speak. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to ask me anything, you can feel free to do that. But let me pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, tonight. I'm in today, and Lord, it uh, feels already like it ought to be night. It's been a long day already, but Lord, we pray right now for the power of your Holy Spirit to be in this room. Speak to our hearts. Lord, you said in the Sermon on the Mount when you finished it, you were afraid that the greatest sermon that ever had been preached to mankind by God clothed in the flesh of man. You said at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, you said, now what shall I like in a man who hears this message? You said there are two kind of men. One, he listens, but he builds his house on sand. And by all outward evidence, it looks as if he listened and applied it and processed it and applied it to his life. But when the storms of life come, his house falls and it's a great fall. He said, but what shall I like in a man who listens, who hears it, who applies it and changes his life? He's like a man who builds his house on the rock. So Lord, I pray today that Lord, we are not simply listening but Lord, we are applying and processing this in our hearts so that it changes our marriages, changes our families, changes our communities, changes our cities, our state, this nation, and a lost world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Look at Judges chapter 2. Remain standing, verse 10. In Judges chapter 2, verse uh, 10, chapter 2 of Judges, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who did neither did not know the Lord nor what he had done. Okay, now everybody look this way. I want you to think about that for a moment. Moses is dead. 
Joshua is dead. Caleb is dead. Those great patriarchal leaders are gone. They are no more. They turn to hand the baton off, to hand the baton off, to hand the baton off to their belief, their faith system, only to come to a point there grew a generation that did not know the Lord, Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah, Yahweh, God. They did not know the Lord and they did not know what He had done. Now let me ask you why. Hey, I'm not worried about podcasts. Those people can come to church. Why did a generation eventually come to being among the Jewish covenant people, the nation of Israel, that did not, did not know the Lord nor what he had done? And let me tell you, he'd done some great things, parting the Red Sea, killing Pharaoh's army, feeding people from Hannah, from, from a heavens called manna, bringing water out of a rock, parting the Jordan River, dropping the walls of Jericho. Listen, God had done a lot of great things, but this generation, they didn't know nothing. They had no idea what he had done. They didn't know him, and they didn't know anything that he'd done. Why? Why? Say it loud. They didn't teach them. Nobody told them. Anybody else? They weren't listening is also part of it. They'd adapt it to their environment. Do what? Yeah, things were going well. The old, the old generation, the Moseses and Joshua and Caleb's, they had fought those battles, put them in the promised land, a land of milk and honey, and now they had grown complacent. They weren't listening, and people weren't telling them, and they had it really easy. And that's how easy it can change in any nation. Okay? So be seated. But feel free. Now, two things went wrong. Number one, and we said this last week, number one, if you look at Judges chapter 2, go back and look at verse 10. It said, after that whole generation, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, all those great leaders, after that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, served the bells. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. Do you see that? In other words, we said this. First of all, the mistake was they conformed to the culture around them. Is that right? When you read, I read the Bible through every 90 days. And let me tell you what happens. Oh, I couldn't do that. I don't have time. You know, it takes about 47 minutes if you're a reasonable reader. In less than one hour, you can read the Bible through every three months. We do what we want to do. But let me tell you, when you start moving through the Bible from cover to cover that quickly, one of the things that you realize is that God repeatedly, Moses did it in Deuteronomy, Joshua did it in Joshua 23 and 24. They, they, warned, uh, they warned the people. They said, listen, 
culture is going to always try to influence your life and conform you to what it is. And the culture today is pressing in on the church like it has never pressed in before. This is what Paul said to the church at Rome. He said to the church at Rome, he said, listen, be not conformed to what? To this world. What Paul was saying was he was saying to the church at Rome, you're in the very heart you're in the very center of this world empire and this Roman system. And if you're not careful, that system's going to press you into its mold. So you better be on high alert. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, metamorphosed in the Greek, by the renewing of your what? Listen, your enemy is trying to get where? Right here. As a man thinketh, in his heart, meaning his mind, his personality, so is he. He gets in your head. So they were, as one writer said, they were influenced by what they should have been putting out. What they should have been driving out began to influence them and to change them. Is that right? And so you and I are living in an environment today that many people would say we are post-Christian. We are no longer a Christian nation. We are post-Christian. We're, we're not a Christian nation. Many nations see us as one. Do you know that we're the number? I think number. We're in the top five mission fields of the world. That includes Islamic nations. Do you know we are the mission field to South, South Korea, for example? Do you know that many of the African nations consider us now to be pagans and they feel like they need to come and, and, and teach us the gospel? We're the mission field. Did you know that? And so last week, the thing that alarmed me most of all was, was what was happening to boys. Statistics that to me were just absolutely almost mind-boggling. And we said this because why if the enemy is trying to destroy us, this nation, even this world, why would the enemy go after the boys? And you may say, well, I'm free here, I got all girls. Hey, hey, who's your girls going to marry? Let me tell you what every mom better be praying. If you've got a son or a daughter while they're small, they may be down in the preschool department. You better be praying for the men and women they will one day marry. You should be pounding the throne of a sovereign God who sees exactly who will marry your child, knows everything about their life. You ought to, be, you ought to every day say, God... I don't know who my son or daughter will marry, but I know you know, and I pray right now for their home. I pray for their mom. I pray for their dad. I pray for their environment. I pray that, God, you are instilling into their life deep spiritual principles that will affect and change their life. Let me tell you something. I prayed for Matt Scapel. I prayed for Corey Warren. I prayed for Alicia Harrison. I prayed for Megan Dice when they didn't even when I didn't even know they existed. 
Why? Because we're living in an unstable time. And for every parent of a daughter, you better listen better than anyone, as well as parents of sons. I quoted Dr. Philip Zimbardo, who is the chair of the Western Psychological Foundation. And I told you last week, I listened to two of his TED Talks. He wrote a book called The Demise of Guys. And he said, we better wake up in this nation, in our culture, to what we're doing to our boys today. And I gave you some startling statistics. That the average boy today, and girl, but the average boy will spend, by the age of 21 years of age, will spend over 10,000 hours on video meaning primarily on his phone, gaming and playing with this stuff on, t on his phone. The outcome of that is, is that Philip Zimbardo, uh, Dr. Philip Zimbardo called it the demise of guys. He said, listen to me, he said, listen, we are creating an environment where boys are being affected more than anyone else. Your pastor last two weeks ago, Dr. Uh, Brother Reggie, made this statement, and I, and I said it as well. 40%, 40% of homes in America are fatherless. We showed you a video up here. We showed you a video of an African-American runner in a major meet. And it may have been the Olympics. It was a competitive meet. And we watched as this African-American runner pulled a hamstring. And all of a sudden, he was picked to win it. All of a sudden, we see him in agonizing pain. He's crying. He's holding his hamstring. And he's trying to run. And finally, he falls to his, his knees. And when he falls to his knees, you see an African-American, an older gentleman get up. And you watch him come across. Do you know they were trying to stop him? In one particular video, John apologized afterwards. He said, Brother Jeff, I looked for that other video, couldn't find it. But in that particular video, they're trying to stop him from getting to his son. But he, he listen, he tells him, get out of the way. That's a dad. And every child needs a dad. You could solve this problem not with a mayor in this city, but with dads. And you see this dad coming and all of a sudden he reaches down, he grabs his son and he puts his arm around his son. He grabs his arm, of the son's arm puts it around his neck and you watch as his dad is leading his son around that track. And there comes another official. He comes out there waving his hands, telling him he's got to let go. He's interfering with the race. And that man turns, that father turns and looks at him and says, get away, get away. And walks his son almost to the finish line and then lets him go the rest of the way. Every kid needs a dad. And I don't apologize for it. I have I had four trees down in my backyard. My 90-year-old dad last Wednesday had bought a new steel chainsaw. I said, Dad, I have hurt my back. Just forget it. He said, son, I'll come cut anyway. My 90-year-old dad pulled that chainsaw out, cranked it up like he was 25 years old, and cut up all four big old massive trees and sat there working just like any 25-year-old young man. 
Afterwards, we went for a ride. And this 63-year-old son began to pour out his heart and talk about some of the struggles that I'm in the middle of right now. And as I did that, my dad gave me godly counsel. And let me tell you why. First of all, if you smoke a cigarette, you ought to never pick up another one. He's cut from here all the way down to his chest because he had cancer. And I wept and cried and begged him to put the cigarettes away, and he finally did. He picked them out of his pocket, crushed them in his hand, threw them in the garbage. And I believe that's one reason I have my dad today. Every kid needs a dad. We had the highest fatherless rate of any nation in the world. What's happening to our boys? One third of the boys in this country are growing up without dads. Less than three out of five children in this country report eating a meal with their parents. Do you realize the power of sitting down at a table and eating a meal as a family? Do you know that, listen, if you don't sit down, if you don't sit down and eat a meal with your children and listen and, and process their day, do you realize they're twice as likely to abuse alcohol and four times as likely to abuse drugs? And it's as simple as sitting down as a family and eating a meal. Wow. You know what we're going to do when we get to heaven? Anybody got any ideas? All you Baptists, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? We're going to eat. You wonder what your mom, your grandma, some of those people are doing up there. Listen, they're getting ready for, the Bible calls it the Lamb's Banquet, the Lamb's Supper, the great celebration. When you and I have made reservations here for when we get to heaven, you know, Philip, right now, your mom, Philip's mom was a godly woman. Right now, she's getting everything ready. if you've reserved your spot. And the only way you can do that is repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus Christ. Church membership, baptism doesn't mean anything. But Dr. Philip Zimbardo and others have said this, 30% of our boys are more likely to drop out of school than girls. Girls outperform boys at every level from elementary school up to grad school. Boys are less likely to get a BA, Bachelor of Art degree, 44% compared to 56%. Grad degrees, 45% compared to 55%. Listen, at this point, Amy stopped her vehicle and said to her own 11-year-old son, said, son, who's the dentist? Who's the dentist today, son? And Sam, my 11-year-old grandson, looked at her with his lip trembling and said, Mom, you are. And most dentists that you know today are female. I'm not just talking about stats, empty stats. You may say, well, wait a minute. Why would Satan go after the boys? I told you this much. Listen. If children are dropped off in this parking lot, two to three percent of them will come to Christ, sell out to the Lord, and that family, two to three percent of their families will respond and come to church. If mom comes to church and leaves dad at home, about 10% will come to church, be involved, converted, and serve the Lord. About 10% of those families. If dad comes to church, it's 93%. You get dad in this building and listen, you will affect mom and the kids. 93% of those families statistically will come to church because dad comes. Because as goes dad goes a nation. 
And I can tell you, we've been apologizing too much. We've been following this little, narrow, little cultural uh, tightrope that that our nation's put on us. We don't want to offend anybody anymore. We're out there, listen, the only thing we have to talk about is political things. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about what's culturally acceptable. 30% of boys are more likely to drop out of school than girls. Boys make up two-thirds of special ed students. Boys are five times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD and be drugged with Ritalin. Porn industry is the fastest growing industry in America today, and the average boy will look at 50 porn clips a week. 70% of D's and F's are made by boys. 43% of teenagers see nothing wrong with looking at pornography. And the fastest growing industry in the porn industry is child pornography. When fathers are present in homes today in America, they average about 30 minutes a week with one-on-one conversation with their children. That compared to the same child spending over 44 hours a week on video, computer, and phones. Let me ask you something. A dad who spends less than 30 minutes while his child spending over 44 hours a week Figure up 44 hours over seven days a week. You've got six hours plus every day spent on phones, computers, video capability, while dad spends what is seven into 30? Not much. Four minutes. Military generals say there is not enough young. This shook me. I didn't fellowship, you know, I didn't hang around much last Sunday. I just went to my office. Reggie's nodding his head because he knows sometimes you come to this pulpit with a word from God and you feel like you people haven't listened at all. Oh, we can tell whether you're listening. Some of you kids don't come to church and you make no effort to invite them. Military generals say there is not enough young men in America today to meet the minimal requirements for enlistment should a natural or national disaster arise. Doctors say we're redefining sexuality. You've seen that? John Hopkins is adamantly come out very strongly on some who are now into the transgender to the the point that they'll do surgical procedures on children to accommodate them to what they feel like gender-wise they ought to be. My friend, God forgive us. Doctors warn we're redefining sexuality and there's a war on masculinity. We apologize now for boys being boys. I carried uh, Ethan... Last week I had Silas in August and Saturday night spent the night. This past, last night I had uh, Ethan and Caleb. So uh, Titus was there for a little while and Titus fell asleep. So I carried Ethan and Caleb and I told Sheila, I said, we'll run to Walmart and pick up the things you need for supper. Oh my Lord. 
Pledge said when Caleb gets in the buggy, it's like a full-grown man in the buggy. He, he, listen, first he, he was on the front of the buggy. Have you ever tried to move a buggy with a kid that big trying to, trying to steer? First of all, they were, they were riding. They were both on each side of the buggy. Ethan was walking on one side holding the buggy. Caleb was on the other, and we took out elderly women. We were just taking... I said, guys, I said, y'all quit that. Why are y'all doing that? I said, well, mom tells us we have to hold on to the buggy. I said, you don't have to hang on to the buggy. We can't get through the aisles. I mean, you know, it was unbelievable. And then we got out to the truck, and I just said, "Woo!" I said, boys. They said, well, Papa, we don't know how to act in the stores. I said, what? They said, well, Mom doesn't take us to the store. Usually she just orders and we go pick it up in the parking lot. <laughs> this nation's in trouble because of how we're treating our boys. We've got enough of a problem with girls, but I tell you what, girls are excelling. They'll, they'll, they'll be all right, but the boys are the ones that are suffering. Why? Because we said it. Number one, they lost a generation because they conformed to the culture. How much of your home and your life has so conformed to the culture that you don't even realize it anymore? You know, people can say, well, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't like my child spending that much time on the phone, but have you ever asked how much time you're spending on the phone? I don't see how some people can raise their families for the amount of time they spend on Facebook. And they're always on Facebook. I mean, I know, hey, listen, I know, I know some people right now that are on Facebook. Man, they have an unbelievable following. They're like the spiritual prima donna on Facebook. And I'm thinking to myself, get off Facebook and fix your marriage and your home and your family. Because your kids are going down the tube. But a lot of times children are just mirroring what we do. I mean, restaurants you go into nowadays, you see a mom sitting there, and the whole time she's sitting there, you got a child or a couple of kids sitting there. She's sitting in Chick-fil-A. She don't have time to talk to them. She's not carrying on. She's too busy going over Facebook, find out what everybody else is doing. And she's a prisoner. Dad, too. Hey, you can pull up hardcore porn on this. And 70 plus percent of teenagers today hide, hide their stuff and they're smart enough to do it. Mom, Dad, you think you're smart? <laughs> you can think it all you want to. These kids know how to hide it. So we, we, number one, they, they uh, adapted. They just acclimated themselves to the culture. And number two, they, they lost their leaders. Do you know what God always does when God wants to fix people? He does it with leaders. Well, let me ask you something. Let me ask something. Everybody listen closer. What percentage of homes will people come to Christ and will live their life serving the Lord? What percentage of those homes, if the children come to church without the parents... What did we say? Two to three percent. If mom comes to church and brings them and comes to church with them, what did we say? What percentage was? Ten percent. If dad is involved in the spiritual education, the upbringing, and is a part of that process, what is that statistic? 
93%. Let me ask you something. Do you see a demonic army behind this? Trying to undermine this nation as well as a lost world? Churches? So God raises up leaders. And, and that's the key. You know, I said last week, but it's true, Billy, Billy Graham warned, he warned this nation. He warned this nation. He said, we are in a vacuum of leadership and I'm afraid of what will become our leaders. Hey, for all you Democrats that immediately thought, Donald Trump, you're right. But the liberal former president, President Obama was exactly the same morally. We're a nation that's killed our unborn. We elect leaders who look and think like we do. That's what we do. The leaders are a reflection of who we are. We may say, well, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I believe in this president. and I believe in that president. Hey, listen, the political process of this country cannot fix itself because judgment doesn't begin in Washington. Judgment begins in the house of God. If you're looking to a president, whether it was President Obama, whether it's President Trump, to fix anything, then you're looking the wrong way. Because neither one of them fixed nothing. God fixes things through leaders. Men and women who step up and decide, I, I, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make a difference. And, and I gave you uh, person after person that it made a difference in my life. And as Reggie said a couple of weeks ago, Reggie reminded you and I, if we are not investing in other people, if we're not discipling and leading them, leading them to Christ, pouring into them, spending time with them, and listen, everybody look this way. Everybody look this way. First and foremost, if you're a parent, your congregation is your own children. If you're a husband here, your first, the first person is your wife. If you're a dad here, the second one is your children. And beyond that, who God brings in your life to invest and pour in and disciple and bring them along, helping them being conformed into the image of Christ. We've got We've got boys in this community. We've got people in this nation today that have no responsibility to bringing children in the world. I have no use for them whatsoever. Oh, pastor, I think you're being a little bit hard. Do you know what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy? A man asked me this. He said, what is infidel? Do you know what God says? about a man who brings children in the world and doesn't provide for them. God says the hell-bound sinner man, he's better off in the eyes of God than a man who claims to be a Christian that does not provide for his own household. 
Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, he said, listen, an infidel is in a better position than a man that doesn't provide for his own household. Now, you may not like that. That may not be politically correct in our day, but that's the truth. African-American community could fix every problem. If the men begin to put pressure on young men to say, look, you get a girl pregnant, you bring a baby into this world, you raise them up. You marry her, you provide a home for her, and you provide a living for her. And if you don't do that, the Bible says you're worse than a non-believer. Hey, listen. Some of you may be amused. I don't care. Some of you may be mad. I don't really care about that either. You know, Dr. Phil said this a while back. He was going into a situation where a couple were arguing. He looked at his staff and he said, I'm getting too old for that. I don't have nothing to lose. Of course, I never did anyway. But the reality is, is that if things are going to change, you and I are going to have to be far more involved than we are right now. If you're a dad today, then you're going to have to be more involved in your marriage. You're going to have to be more involved in, your, in the life of your children. If you're a grandparent, you're going to have to be more involved in the life of your children. If you're living in sin, then you need to get that right. Because you are undermining this nation. If you're living in sin right now, you need to get that right. And by the grace of God, I pray you will. Because you are leading people down the wrong path. You may say, well, you know, what are these chairs? You know, Willie came. He said, Brother Jeff, he said, uh, he said you want me to put those chairs back? I said, no, let's, let's leave them up one more week. These chairs represent this row of chairs, two rows, and this space between them that leads to this cross is a picture of what God does in your life and in my life through the authority of His Word, through the power of His Holy Spirit. God is trying to lead you and I down this path and pointing us toward His Son, Jesus Christ, who paid our full penalty on this cross and provided us forgiveness of sin. Okay, He's conforming us into the image of the person who died on that. If you're a parent, then your responsibility, here's your child, your responsibility is this. Ethan, come up here. Let me use you. Let me pick on you. Mind, buddy? Come up here, buddy. Mind. I'll use my nine-year-old grandson. Okay, who's getting really tall. Okay, this is Ethan. And Ethan, before he becomes a Christian, is out here. Now, my responsibility as his grandfather, I'm trying to lead him this way. Now, he may try to take me this way because he's getting pretty big, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on. And I'm, I'm leading him in this direction. Now, when we get here, when we get here, and because he's a Christian now, here he is. Now, let me tell you, I'm in the, try to climb over this chair. Try to climb over that chair. See, you see, that's what children are trying to do. Because see, his, his peers, his friends, his, his culture, drugs, alcohol, good-looking girls. See, he didn't realize it yesterday. He and I were eating together, and there was a teenager, probably four or five years older than he was, beautiful girl, sat there and looked at him the whole time. And I thought, well, I put the fear of God in his dad. So I told his dad, I said, when that girl walked out with her parents, I said, you see that girl right there? She'd been looking at Ethan the whole time. I watched her legs get so nervous. <laughs> I was telling Alicia afterwards, see, there's everything in the world trying to pull him out here. But you know what I'm trying to do? Listen, listen, what I'm trying to do is to ensure that he stays on this straight and narrow and we're just walking along here. And one day, watch this, watch this, and you remember this. 
one of these days. What is this? One of these days I go home to heaven. And hopefully I've pointed him in the right direction and other people are discipling and bringing him along so that one day one of you folks out there with a beautiful Christian girl that you've been pouring into, one day you'll see the two of them standing down there in front of the pulpit, in front of the preacher, and they'll be giving their lives to each other in holy matrimony because you've been bringing your girls along and they met somewhere in this path right here. I don't know how long I'm going to be with him. I'm going to do everything I can to keep him here, but one of these days I won't be here. And you're going to be fine. You may say, how do you know that? My dad was not even a week old. He was one week old. You can go sit with ma'am. My dad was one week old. My dad, who will be 90 his birthday, my dad was one week old. My dad was born one Sunday. The next Sunday, my mom had him in church. She said at a certain point, Kevin, it's an old country church, old fiery preacher, said she, he, he looked at my grandmother and said, can I take him, can I hold him? And he walked around preaching a sermon holding my dad at one week old, little infant. Walking around, my grandmother said she was on pins and needles watching him. He was preaching just as fiery as no telling what, holding that baby. Said my dad slept. He never even woke up. I'm telling you as a nation, we need men and women who will come back to Christ and live their life according to the scripture. Because I can tell you this much, our enemy what our enemy has done to this nation. We don't know the authority of God's word. We don't know, we're too worried about political correctness. We're too, we're too worried about what's culturally accepted rather than looking to the authority of God's word. And so the, what the enemy does is the enemy does this. He just will twist and turn those boundaries. He'll distort the word of God. He'll turn it every way possible. And you know what he's trying to do. Make sure that these kids don't come here. Some of you parents and some of you people in this room, God's called you to restore the boundaries. Oh, they're fighting you. Helping them to understand that when they live their life in obedience to God's word. Point them in the right direction. You know what? You know what the one person that will not go to heaven? For the very first group that do not make it to heaven? The coward. Some of you, the reason you can't lead your kids, you're afraid of them. Some of you can't lead your spouses, you're afraid of them.
Some of you can't lead your grandchildren. You're afraid of them. You're, you're afraid. I feel sorry for you. Some of you can't lead the people where you work. You're afraid of them. Some of you can't speak to the people in your community. You're afraid of them. And the Bible says the first group that don't get into heaven are the cowards. Why? Because a man or a woman of God is only afraid of one thing. They only fear God. I don't fear anybody in this room. I'm not looking for your acceptance. I fear only the one that I will answer to when I walk past that when I go out that door and I'm absent from this body and I'm present with the Lord, that's the only one I'm worried about. If he looks at me and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, listen, I could care less what you think. And you may say, well, preacher, you're being kind of caustic. No, I'm just simply telling you that we need more men of God that just simply preach the truth. So the sermon last week and the sermon this week, we processed what was said last week. What does this mean? This means that it starts right here. If you want revival to come to this nation, just draw a circle and stand in it. Say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in my marriage? First, first. That, well, first, your life. God, what do you want me to do in my own personal life? God, there's some things that I've got to get right. Let me get them right. Help me, God, to get these areas of my life right. Then what happens is you say, God, help me to fix this marriage. If you're married, God, help me to make this marriage everything that you intended it to be. And then beyond that, God, you help us to raise these kids in such a way that we're leading them. Some of you single people in this room, do you know that every kid just about, sooner or later, that nine-year-old, his parents will be literally on pins and needles, hanging on, hoping and praying? And do you know that some of you single people have the ability to impress into their lives and go after them when no mom or dad can do it? say, well, I don't have kids. Oh, yes, you do. Caleb got upset a while back. My little grandson, big as he is, he got upset, and he wasn't going to go if Haley wasn't going. And there may come a day when mom and dad are struggling to keep Caleb on the straight and narrow, and they may call and say, Haley, can you talk to Caleb? He'll listen to you when he won't listen to nobody else. Haley, will you talk to him? Just because you're single don't mean you don't have a voice. Some of you grandparents, you're just having to fix what's been messed up. You, you do everything you can. You fight the fight. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord. and Lord, our hearts are heavy. We live in a, in a time that, dear Lord, the Bible says is, feels so much like the last days. Morally, dear Lord, we are depraved. We have excused so much sin in our lives now. Society has drifted so far to the left and so far away from the word and the clear teachings of Scripture. And Lord, I say left, but I've seen right wing just as, just as depraved and sinful as left wing. We live in a nation today that's torn apart by politics and partisan politics and political correctness and 
culture that is defined not by the Word of God, but by Hollywood, by movies, by the lyrics of songs, by the words of rap. Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord, on behalf on behalf of our families, our children. Lord, help us to walk with you. Lord, even this week, I took my Bible. I put it on top of my head. That 90-day Bible that Chris McKinnon gave me a long time ago. And in front of my wife, I said, God, let me, let me walk with you like I've never walked with you before. Oh, Lord, let me walk with you. Some men in this room need to go home and say to their families, if we don't go to church, then I think I'm just going to die. Lord, I pray today that if there's one here that does not know you, there's one here that may be struggling and unsure of their salvation. God, you have spoken to them, a dad or a mom, a grandparent, somebody who may right now be living in sin, living in disobedience to your word. and God, they know it. There's some in this room that may be living in disobedience, but everything in them right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, God is saying, I want you to get this right. I want to, I want to do some things in your life, but I want to do some things through you that I can't do right now because you're not where you need to be. So God, speak to the hearts of men and women, young people in this room, dear Lord, and whatever we are called to do, what may we be obedient. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.